Although I Googled you, because, you know, <laughs> that's what people my age do. Is no, that's Google totally search. fair. We were go- Oh my gosh, you should have seen us last night. A friend came over for dinner, and us three were like Googling ourselves, we're like, how much information is out there about us? We don't want to be. There was something bad uh, that came up. No, I know, but we just don't want our information out there in general. Welcome back, everybody. It's your host again, Natalia, and today I'm really excited to be with the delightful and darling Jessica Hogel. Uh, she is the Senior Director of Federal Affairs for PG&E Corporation, um, but today we're going to be talking about her and her life, how she got where she is, what makes her just fabulous. Um, so, Jessica, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. So, you kind of covered my name and where I work, so mm-hmm. I won't go into a whole lot more detail there. Um, I would just say Senior Director of Federal Affairs is a nicer (laughs) way of saying a lobbyist, which is, you know, sometimes a dirty word, and I don't have my scarlet L on today. So, um, but yes, I I represent the interests of um, PG&E's customers, shareholders, employees Mm -hmm. um, back here in Washington on a daily basis. And so that's a lot of fun. Um, I uh, have two kids two and seven. Mm-hmm. I have three Little dogs. Babies. I know. Babies. I have, my oldest is a girl. My youngest <laughs> is a boy. I have three dogs, which mm-hmm. are like children in their own right. They're okay. high maintenance. <laughs> and then, you know, a wonderful husband who also works. So between the two of us, we probably put in 100, 120 hours a week. And, oh my um, gosh. It takes so... a village to, to run this show. Oh but, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't work for PG&E. He works for the Carlisle Group. Okay, I've never heard of them, but there's it's DC, so there's a lot of things that so, I haven't heard so of. So when the National Monument almost fell apart after mm-hmm. the earthquake, mm-hmm. the CEO of Carlisle Group paid for that. Well, okay, well you know, <laughs> yeah. we run in different circles. That's right. <laughs> so he's in like real estate, which I didn't even know existed in Washington. Mm-hmm. I always assumed that this town was completely about advocacy mm-hmm. and. Um, government, but no, mm-hmm. there's a very thriving real estate finance oh, kind of yeah. world in Washington too. One of my friends is um, is a real estate agent, and come to find out that like when you move down here, you just like have to know a good real estate agent. It's I feel like it's like a requirement to live in this area. She's like, yeah, you always got to know at least one because things are always changing. And I was like, I never needed to know any. Right. I just go on Craigslist if I need a new apartment or like Facebook group. Oh, does Craigslist still exist? Is yeah, just like yes, you know, it's had its dirty dealings. Okay, that's good to know. <laughs> no, but that's where you get like you can find really good furniture on there because like when you're trying to furnish your apartment on a very low budget, right? You can usually a lot of people are moving in and out of the city, so you can probably find like good deals, right? And that's my tip and trick for the day. If you there need you new furniture, go to go to Craigslist. It's probably um, easier than going to uh, what's it called? IKEA. IKEA, yeah, because the closest one is a drive. Like it's you outside have to, the Beltway. Yeah, and I made the mistake of going there with my son when he was maybe a couple months old. No, no, that was never the smart. That was no, my least it was a terrible idea. Furniture stores is like my least favorite place in the world when I was a kid like I would hate when my parents would like drag me there on Sundays after church we were like okay we're also gonna like go to this furniture store pier one pier one is like where my mom lived we never bought anything but yet we always ended up in there like I don't it's a tirade for another time (laughs) my parents it was pottery 
Like, pottery? let's go to this pottery place. That's such like an aesthetic of like, yeah. Well, we lived in New Mexico, and so maybe that's what it was. I'm an Air Force brat, so okay. I moved around a lot. And at one point, we were in New Mexico, and it, maybe mm-hmm. they have a lot of people making pottery there. I mean, it is like, I think like the desert, the clay. Like, right. You know, I could see that. It's very artsy. It reminds yeah. me of like a Murder, She Wrote episode where she was in Arizona. I don't know if you've ever seen that show. I'm 85 years old at heart, so okay. <laughs> it's a very old show. Um, but so you said you were not, you were an Air Force brat. Yes. So you did not grow up in DC. No. So where are you original? Well, what is I was original? Born here. <laughs> okay. okay. So I was born here. This is my fourth time living here. Oh, okay. So it might as well be that I'm from mm-hmm. here. But I also lived um, outside of St. Louis twice. Uh, Charleston, South Carolina, Albuquerque, New Mexico, Altus, Oklahoma. And when I was in college, I went to um, school in Tennessee. My parents moved to California, mm-hmm. and I studied abroad my senior, no, junior year of college. And so because I started in July, mm-hmm. I had like a three-and-a-half-month-long break between when my program ended and when my second semester started. So mm-hmm. I ended up going out to California. <coughs> living mm-hmm. with them. So I can I can kind of say that I've lived in California, which is helpful when you work for a California-based company because okay. Californians are very much like, if it's not from here or yeah. made here, it's not as good. Really? Oh, yeah. Is that, well, I, they do have a lot of a lot, pride. A lot of pride. There's a lot of state pride from people from California. I know many of people, they're very... That's right. Very into their state. I don't get it, but I... Sure. Um, well, they've got nice weather and <laughs> they do. nice scenery. That's true. I do, like... I want to keep moving farther west because the temperature gets more moderate. Um, <laughs> so you traveled around a lot growing up as a kid. Was that hard? Was that easy? Was it fun? So you don't know any better. Yeah. Right? Like you're just a little kid. So mm-hmm. you know, now I've been in here in Washington since, you know, shortly after I graduated. Mm-hmm. So this is the longest I've ever lived in any place. Mm-hmm. And I do find myself getting a bit antsy. I have to be working towards something. Yeah. That is new or novel in my in my mind. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I get kind of like, what am I doing here? Yeah. I feel stagnant. I need to do something else. And so, you know, I've been with my current company for 10 <coughs> years, mm-hmm. and, you know, things were going fine, but I, I got that itch, and so then I did a rotation assignment out there. Mm-hmm. And so I was chief of staff to our senior vice president at the time, and I lived um, in the Bay Area for eight months. Mm-hmm. My whole family came out. My daughter was three it was funny because the company was awesome they you know paid for my rent and you know helped move stuff there and they hooked me up with somebody to help me look at daycares Mm because I had to put Charlotte somewhere so one of the and we lived in Marin County which Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know Marin but it's it's very shishi it's a bit shishi but it's like very uh you know I would say you know kind of eco Conscious, okay. and um, you've also not San Rafael, but there's a town next to it that's like one of the last like hippie bastions, right? <laughs> so it's very kind of touchy feely. Mm-hmm. So um, I was interviewing some daycares there, and one of them, she sat me down, and and I was explaining the situation, like we're just moving out here mm-hmm. temporarily. I need to find a place for her to go, and you know, one interesting thing was there was no full time daycare there. Really, oh. it was like eight to two. Or I was like, does nobody work? Like, how odd is it? <laughs> yeah. And then she was like, wait a minute. So you want to enroll your daughter, you know, a couple weeks from now or a month mm-hmm. from now, and she's only gonna be here for six months, mm-hmm. and then she's gonna go back. And I said, yes, that's the plan. She was like, wow, 
that's really concerning. You know, she's going to have a really hard time. Kids that move around like that, they have a really hard time building long-lasting, <laughs> meaningful relationships. She's lecturing me about this, right? How I'm doing this horrible mm-hmm. thing to my child. And I was just like, I'm sorry. I moved around when I was a little kid. My father was in the military, and I literally get paid to have relationships for a living, and I do pretty well. <laughs> so I have to beg to differ with you that, you know, I'm not mm-hmm. able to build long-lasting, mm-hmm. meaningful relationships. She was like, well, I don't mean you, of course, but... But that's... It's very presumptuous. Isn't that hilarious? That's very, very presumptuous, like that, all of a sudden. <laughs> because we need a place to stay for eight months, we can... Right. Can't have, like, and a... And was, I was being judged. But then... When I was trying to find a dog walker mm-hmm. and calling through dog walkers, they charged, it was it was outrageous what they charged. And one person, they wanted $50 per walk. And I was like, what? And they said, well, after every walk, I'm a certified pet masseuse, and they get a massage after every walk. And I was, <laughs> I was thinking, okay, one, who certifies for that? I want to know. And are they like accredited, like how does that work? Two, if my pets are getting a massage every day, that's a problem for me personally. And three, I can't believe people pay for this because this this was like a well-reviewed person on Yelp. Mm-hmm. This wasn't, you know, somebody trying to scam me. This was legit. People were paying for this out there. Oh, my goodness. If I ever told my parents that I was going to get a masseuse for a dog that I own, they would smack me silly right. and be like, don't waste your... Like, that to me... <laughs> and do they know that they're being massaged? At the time? That's a th- or are they just like, like, what are you doing? On top of that, like, dogs love to be petted. Like, I'm just thinking it's the same right. thing. What's the difference between petting a dog and massaging a dog? That's what I'm saying. It's like, if you give it a nice belly scratch, I feel like they'll be happy. I'm concerned about where that person wasted their money to go pay for this certification. I feel like that's the real crime in this entire this thing. This is that we should be in, I'm thinking. Yes. is Apparently being a pet masseuse. If this whole, like, non-profit shtick doesn't work out for me, I... You might um, want to look into that. Yeah, I think I know where I'm going. I do like dogs, so... And if you want to move out west, there's a there's a demand for it out there. So. Eventually, when I make my trip out west, I'll become a pet... Oh, my gosh. Could you imagine telling my parents, our daughter with two degrees, and you want to be a what? That would that would not go over very well. And you can make pottery in your spare time. <laughs> that definitely would not go over very well in my household. I could I could oh I can hear my father now. Oh no, yeah. no 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 no. That would not definitely not be uh, an option for me per se. But you moved around, so you moved your family around, kind of following your dreams and kind of ambitions. Was that I feel even silly like asking like was that difficult as like a mother like this idea that you can't do what you want because like you have a child and and you're married and moving. So I would say it's great to have a good partner. Mm -hmm. And so my husband, you know, was on board to do it. He kind of saw it as this will be a fun adventure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, really it was January of 2015 and we were at the beach and everybody back here was in a snowstorm. So it was Mm -hmm. kind of awesome. Right. That's nice. Um, And so he was totally up for it. And then, you know, there was, there had been other opportunities for us to potentially permanently relocate there. Mm-hmm. And I think that the rotation was a good way to kind of suss out if that was something that we would want to do. And even mm-hmm. then, he's like, whatever, I can do what I do from anywhere. I, I am different, right? Mm-hmm. Which is when you get into this world of advocacy, like you're, you either stay here and do that mm-hmm. or you go in-house, go back to headquarters of whatever company it is that you've been <coughs> working for and do something else. And for me, you know, I work for a, basically an infrastructure company. Mm -hmm. We move hazardous 
combustible materials around on infrastructure all day, mm-hmm. and it's a lot of engineers. So there aren't that many roles for mm-hmm. somebody like me to be able to do out there, mm-hmm. but they do exist. That's kind of the path, right? It's either you stay here and do this thing, and you can work for different companies, or you can go work for yourself as a consultant, or you know, you could go work in government if you wanted, or you go in-house with whatever mm-hmm. the company is. He, he's been pretty flexible about that. I think another um, symptom of being a military brat is I feel a little bit like kind of a leaf that's just blowing around, and <laughs> I'll figure out a way to be happy with wherever I land. Mm-hmm. And so I wouldn't say that, you know, when I was a little kid, or even when I went to school, I had this as a vision for what mm-hmm. I looked like at that time. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I majored mm-hmm. in Asian religion because I thought it was interesting and then kind of fell into a campaign mm-hmm. and then fell into a trade association advocacy job and then, you know, heard about this and applied mm-hmm. to this. So nothing, everything happens on purpose, yeah. right? But it's not, it's not by intelligent design. How about mm-hmm. I put it that way, <laughs> right? Like I didn't. It wasn't like, this is what I want to be, and yeah. I'm going to go do that. It was, oh, I'll go do that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, to some extent, it's like after doing campaigns for a while, you're like, okay, I'd like to stop doing campaigns. Mm-hmm. This seems like a, a good thing to do. And then doing trade association work where you have, you know, versus just one CEO, you have however big your membership mm-hmm. is, that many CEOs, and it's a lot of consensus building internally, in addition to trying to build consensus externally, yeah. mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I think this is a bit good. I'm mm-hmm. ready to go, you know, work for one CEO, mm-hmm. one company. That's how you end up here. That's how I have ended up here. So there was never growing up, you were never like, oh, I'm super passionate about this, and I'm gonna do this. No. Do you think it's because like you had to move around so much? You're like, I can't necessarily stick with one thing. Or is there something intrinsically, that's a word, that, like, traveled with you as you were moving around? So sometimes I wonder, because, you know, through Running Start, which Mm -hmm. is a forum where we met, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm often struck by younger women and, like, the drive that they have Mm -hmm. and the the sense of purpose and direction of what they want to do. So I don't know if that's a generational thing, Mm -hmm. because I certain, like, where I went to school, I feel as though, when I I think back to my core group of friends, I don't know that anybody of them came there to say, I want to do X, and then Mm -hmm. they ended up there. Mm. Right? I think... You know, my roommate was a double major in anthropology and Asian religion, too, mm-hmm. and then decided that she wanted to be a vet, you know, <laughs> a year after college and had to go back and take all these mm-hmm. signs. And so I don't I don't know if it's a gener- I guess one, it's like I just don't know if it's a generational thing. But two, I would just say, you know, my father was high ranking. I have two older brothers that are 10 and 13 years older than me that are both lawyers and their wives are lawyers. There was never any doubt that there was no lack of ambition to do something Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and to be successful. And, you know, particularly my father grew up like very, very poor Mm -hmm. and, you know, all of his siblings did reasonably well, but they were, I think they call them shanty curtain Irish. So they're like lace curtain Irish, Irish. And then they're like shanty. <laughs> I've so, never heard this phrase, okay. but I'm with you. <laughs> and I'm probably butchering it, but anyway, that's what he was. So he had a lot of drive and ambition, mm-hmm. and he was kind of type A, which I think all of his children got. Mm-hmm. And um, he also wanted to put us in environments, like surround us by success, mm-hmm. 
right? I mean, he was the one that really drove me to go to a private school and do... Mm-hmm. I, again, I didn't care, right? <laughs> I was like, I'm going to be fine wherever I end yeah. up. So I just went to the first place that accepted me because I thought the application process was a pain in the neck and I didn't want to do it again. That's also fair. Right. Yes. But there was always a, a drive and mm-hmm. so, you know, I want to be successful. I want to feel financially secure, but I want to mm-hmm. feel I'm doing well and the work is being recognized and it's a good contribution. And so you found like when you were going towards like campaigns or trade organizations, that's where you were being successful and like making a difference and... So the campaign work was, was um, I, I was on the finance side of it, so mm-hmm. I did national fundraising. Mm-hmm. So I only worked for one campaign that actually won. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and then I was like, I got to get out because this is, you know, I actually won something, mm-hmm. you know, or my, my candidate won and, you know, I got to get out while it's good. <laughs> um, that's basically, you just go around the country and you mm-hmm. get people to support your candidate and then Mm -hmm. they do events and they introduce you to more people and so Mm -hmm. that was really cool and you're meeting like super interesting Mm -hmm. but also very very successful Mm -hmm. folks right because these they're writing you know five thousand dollar checks um it was probably a lower limit back then but Mm -hmm. you know to your candidate and then asking their friends to do the same thing which Mm -hmm. they did so these were the circles that you know they ran in and that you kind of got a peek in the curtain about that but it became formulaic Right. Mm-hmm. So there was fun to have relationships with those folks and get to know them. But I, I felt like it was a little bit monotonous in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, OK, you find a host, you do the event, you do mm-hmm. these meetings. And it was just I needed something different. Mm-hmm. And the pay wasn't all that great. Uh, well. Right. And it, and it shouldn't be. Yeah. Right. You're on a campaign and you're supposed to be using all those resources. For, yeah. But I will say that um, now I'm in the corporate side. Right. But I, mm-hmm. I think folks that have worked on campaigns are a value to corporate America, because when you work on a campaign, you know, it's all about getting your candidate across the finish line. Mm-hmm. That is it's like the mission is that and you feel connected to the mission mm-hmm. and it becomes less about like you personally and what you are contributing, mm-hmm. what you are doing. Because there's no formal review process. Mm -hmm. There's no, like, ranking your performance versus your peers. It's just literally, are we getting there collectively? Mm -hmm. And so it makes good kind of loyal, you know, mission-driven employees Mm -hmm. that, you know, like, I don't feel like I ever need credit for Mm -hmm. things because it's just, you know, I just want to make sure that the company is doing well and that we're positioning them well and and getting what is needed. So would you say that, like, your drive was to be more part of something meaningful versus doing the meaningful thing, if that makes sense. So you're saying, do you want, would you rather be a part of something that's meaningful or would you rather be doing something that you personally, it's like, do you, are you getting your satisfaction from what you believe your contribution is or are you getting your satisfaction from, from being associated with the larger mission? Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it seems like, from if I'm understanding you correctly from what you were saying, it's like you really just loved being in that space of like, okay, we're all striving towards the same kind of goal. How can I be best effective with the skills I have? Mm-hmm. Versus like, I started this thing and now I'm doing it and like, I'm going to have these people follow me. But you like kind of being in that in that mix. Like you said, you didn't need the credit right for what you, for what you were doing. I think it's probably, you know, being part of a, a mission, right? Mm-hmm. And feeling like you're... But, but a key piece of that is feeling like your skill set and your contributions are furthering the mission. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not just going to be connected to the mission 
because the mission exists. Like, yeah. I need to have that, and which means that there has to be some reciprocity there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. that that also comes in the form of, like, your your ideas are valued. Mm-hmm. But I, I tend to I, I tend to be a little more dr- democratic and, like, like, I think out loud, you mm-hmm. know. And so um, that's probably another reason why, for me, it's I don't really feel like I need to take credit because a lot of times before I even do anything, I'll go ask everybody in this <laughs> office, what do you think about this or what do yeah. you think about that, right? Mm-hmm. And so then it's like, well, we all kind of, it was kind of all our idea and, yeah. and everybody built on it to make it better. Mm-hmm. And so we should all be getting that credit. You like being part of a team. I do like being part of a team. And is, do you think that has to do kind of, not with like your military background, but you like your dad's military background? Because the military is a team like it's a oh, yeah. you know like he's in the air force that's a team and also moving around so much you do have to be a ge- team you can't just be like we're all gonna kind of float whatever way if we have to move every you know year or yeah. two yeah and kind of having that synchronicity Synchroni- right is that a yes there it's we like go. coming up with your core group of mm-hmm. folks you know mm-hmm. that like at work wise you have your core go-tos mm-hmm. and your team and then in your personal life, you've you know, you've got a lot of friends, but maybe you've got like three or four that are like super tight mm-hmm. that you could say anything to. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where I land. Yeah. Right? Is that like an introverted extrovert, right? So mm-hmm. I can be in a room and talk to a bunch of people, but I also just enjoy sometimes being by myself or just sometimes just being with one person mm-hmm. or two other people. And making that impact there. I like that. From your from growing up and getting involved in advocacy work, because that seems like how your career track has taken you, do you think, like, your dad had a lot of influence in that, in you being, like, geared towards more of this av- advocacy type of career path? Or what, or what in general sparked this, like... Was it just kind of because you fell into things and you were like, yeah. oh, I kind of like this? Okay, so what was the really first just thing... just fell into it. Um, ...that you did? You were like, ooh... This, this struck me in some way that I'm right. like, oh. I went from kind of selling a candidate mm-hmm. to selling ideas. Mm-hmm. So it's all sales. Yeah. I remember when I interviewed for this job, I I am not uh, very detail-oriented, and I don't <laughs> enjoy getting into the details and, like, hashing out mm-hmm. the policy, whatever. You know, I like kind of the present me with something and let me think through what the mm-hmm. pros and cons are and who may be with us and who may be against mm-hmm. us. Or at the beginning of something like maybe these are the stakeholders we should reach out to mm-hmm. and these are the people I would engage with, allies, or and these are the people that are, are not going to be with us on mm-hmm. this. I, I told in my interview, I said, look, I don't want to sit around and hash out policy. That is not my expertise. Just tell me what I'm selling and I will go sell it. <laughs> and it was like, okay. Done. The first trade association job that, again, it was like a friend of a guy that I dated mm-hmm. gave me the job. It was during the first time they were doing a climate bill, mm-hmm. and I worked for the cement industry. And so mm-hmm. cement is, which is different than concrete. Okay, so think about concrete. It's very and, intense. <laughs> oh, yeah. So cement is to concrete as flour is to cake, right? Okay. So you can't walk on cement. It's like mm-hmm. a powder. It's like the glue that holds mm-hmm. the, you know... The, the rocks and sand and gravel all mm-hmm. together to make concrete. Mm-hmm. And they emit about 1% of total U.S. emissions. And they emit in two ways. They emit because you have to, to make cement, you basically burn limestone. And yeah. when you burn limestone, it liberates carbon. Mm-hmm. And then you have to mash it up. And so you, you're very energy intensive. They're emitting half through just burning of the fuel. And most of it was coal back mm-hmm. then. 
there probably has been some natural gas switching by now, I would imagine, since the prices have come down. And then there was just the process of burning the CO2 liberated. Mm -hmm. So I worked on language in legislation so that they would be exempted for half of those emissions. For We called them the process emissions, which mm -hmm. is the CO2 getting liberated. And they, and they got what they wanted. Because it's a consensus-driven organization mm -hmm. and there's, you know, a lot of companies, they didn't they didn't want to endorse the bill, which I understand, because at the end of the day, they still don't want to be regulated. Mm -hmm. At least back then, they didn't. But but I couldn't even get a thank you, mm -hmm. get a thank you letter to the authors of the bill. So then mm -hmm. I was like, okay, this has been a really good learning experience. <laughs> and, you know, I was brought on as the Dem. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, you can, you have these relationships. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, well, and, and one reason why I did want to come here was that my, my company is very progressive mm -hmm. on these issues. And so I, I, it was kind of, I, I purposely wanted to make that mm -hmm. switch. But it was also the first thing that I heard about that was open when I was kind of <laughs> So. But it was at the right time. That's right. It was at the right time. So it was, you were kind of like, I don't know if I could be down with this mission. But then you came here and you were like, I'm down with this mission and I can sell. Right. Was there, so like selling seems to also be like a super skill for you. Was that first organization, was that when you found out that you had, like, the super selling skill? Or was it back when you were doing a campaign? Or? Probably back when we were doing campaign. You know, my dad would say, because part of, part of sales, it, mm -hmm. like, very in a very crass way, is, mm -hmm. is manipulation. Yeah. Um, so my dad would say that I have been manipulating him my whole life, right? <laughs> like, getting whatever I wanted from but him. But isn't that our job? I know. He should right? just deal with it. It's fine. <laughs> so he, towards the end of his career, when he went to the private sector, mm -hmm. and he he actually um, ran, it was the International and Government Affairs Office. So mm -hmm. he did international sales, but then he also um, did GovRel. And so federal mm -hmm. affairs, and they were a defense company, so mm -hmm. obviously they get appropriations contracts. And so we were both lobbyists at the same time, mm -hmm. at one point. Um, there was a new member... That got elected from where his company was headquartered that he didn't know but I had met mm -hmm. a couple times and I was like why don't you come to this event with me because I know him mm -hmm. and he, he was like watching me kind of work a room and he was like <laughs> he was floored <laughs> he was like wow I mean he was he was sweet about it he was like it was impressive but you know it it's was like this is what you do every day right, right. I it's, see how <laughs> it's weird to like be in the same industry as your dad mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> I could I can imagine like and you're like, oh, this is how you got those extra cookies. I yeah. see now. Like right. that, you know, from like, from growing up, where, did you feel like it was a kind of a come full circle thing where you kind of like got to teach your dad versus him teaching you? Yeah, I don't know about that. It was just, it was, <laughs> uh, it was, it was fun. It was a fun moment. Sure. Kids can teach their parents things. <laughs> that's, a, that's a true statement. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know that I schooled him in any way. I think that it was just amusing for him to mm -hmm. be like I'm literally at an event working the same room as my daughter and, and she's like running laps around me <laughs> cause he's way introverted yeah I mean so. yeah I don't think I also couldn't picture my dad like if we were in the same one he should never podcast in a day in his life cause that would be I mean it would be very humorous to me to right. see him make small talk but um, but yeah I think that would be a very eye opening and hilarious moment as well like if my dad was ever in the same field as I was. Um, 
So what did you find most challenging, like, throughout your career? Because you changed a lot, you know, you did a couple different things. You were more focused on, like, your skills and your assets that you could bring versus, like, I have this passion and that this goal. Because that's, that's something for me is different than other women that I've talked to. They have tend to have, like, this mission and this goal and this passion for, like, something in particular and then sought out ways to do it. But it you're kind of the reverse. It's like you have these skills and these mm-hmm. assets that you know you can be used to leverage, and then you find a mission. Since it's kind of the reverse, what were struggles that you faced going through your, through, through your career path? Because like I feel like I've heard other ones. It's like finding an organization that fits like my mission or right. like learning. You know what I mean? Those are struggles I'm more used to hearing about, and I'm wondering if they change because you're not necessarily, like, mission-focused, but, like, skills and asset-focused. Well, and it's and again, it's, like, skills and assets and what they bring to bear for the mission, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's always frustrating when you feel like, you know, your viewpoint is not being heard or mm-hmm. you're not as effective as you could be in persuading a decision point mm-hmm. or something, right? You know, I, I can see that as... But but I find a lot of times when I feel that way that, that I don't have all of the information, mm-hmm. right? And so eventually it's like I get all the information. I'm like, okay, I kind of understand. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is also, you know, working for a company that's literally on the other side of the country, sometimes that can be a challenge is the information mm-hmm. flow. And, you know, I, I will... I have colleagues that are like, you're so lucky you don't work in headquarters, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that you're like out there, you kind of mm-hmm. do your own thing, which I, I totally get. But at the same time, the flip side of that is if you're not in the thick of it every day, like you don't always have the same mm-hmm. access to information mm-hmm. that everyone else does. Um, and so sometimes that creates a challenge. And then I think in my, when I was talking about the trade association role, I, I, I felt like I, it was a failure on my part that I couldn't get just that even like mm-hmm. recognition letter across the finish line mm-hmm. to have that kind of wrap up thing so you talked about you just mentioned like failure this is something else I hear from a lot of other women I talk to is like this idea that we're not allowed to fail as a woman and I'm wondering if you have ever felt that that like you aren't allowed to fail because then it kind of shines a bad spotlight on like all other women in this field not that you necessarily have to speak for all women because we're all different and complex creatures but like this kind of like I'm letting other people down that I don't even know there's definitely a fear of failure right Mm -hmm. and so I think there can be a healthy fear of failure but there can be an unhealthy fear of failure if you're not Mm -hmm. taking risks and I think certainly I you know women I think women are probably more risk averse Mm -hmm. than men are because of that fear of failure Mm -hmm. you know whether it's like because if I fail, I'm letting everybody else down. Or if it's just, I don't want to fail because I don't want to look bad. And somehow a failure is going to affect me more mm-hmm. than it would somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, maybe that just speaks to, like, you you have a out, outsized ego or something. <laughs> but um, I, I find more when I have made a mistake, I, I just kind of own up to it right away mm-hmm. and say, I screwed this up. Mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of hope for the best. Mm-hmm. More often than not, like, the failure in my mind is if I if I don't take a risk or I don't speak up mm-hmm. because I'm afraid of that I might sound stupid or mm-hmm. um, that people won't understand what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, like, that's not really a failure in the true sense mm-hmm. because nothing bad happened, but at the same time, 
you know, especially as a woman, you you do have to be assertive Mm -hmm. and speak up and use your voice. Like, you have to do that more so than the guy next to you. Mm -hmm. You just do. And so that, to me, is is the biggest danger. And I see it. I, I, I face it all the time because... I'm on conference calls where yeah. I'm not even in the room, right? Yeah. So when you can't, when you can't read the room, mm-hmm. and you say something, and and it's like, do people think that what I just said was completely ridiculous, mm-hmm. or it just makes it that much harder? And so I think that's probably something that I just try to work on every day. And it's like eventually you get a level of comfort because mm-hmm. I was promoted at the beginning of the year, so it's like getting a level mm-hmm. of comfort with the new role and being able to do that were you so is is lobbying like a male dominated fear is fear is it like a women do, is it i don't think so 50 50 split or i mean i wouldn't know like overall as an industry mm-hmm. i would guess that you know it's probably pretty even mm-hmm. um in terms of heads of offices mm-hmm. there are definitely more men yeah than women Heads mm-hmm. of offices. Now, my industry has a lot more men than women because mm-hmm. it's a bunch of engineers. Again, it's yeah. a lot of engineers. Although my CEO is the first uh, Fortune 500 Latina. Oh, dope. She's doing a great job. Mm-hmm. She's got a lot on her plate, more than she ever bargained for. <laughs> She's like, I just thought I was signing up for a little bit of a right. job. <laughs> right. No, we're, uh, yeah. Is it, did you feel like a, is she, so she is she new? She's new So she's been this, with or? the company. Um, she was actually my mentor at one point. Oh. Yeah, it was awesome. But she um, got the position. You know, it was announced, and then it went into effect in March. Mm-hmm. So she's newer to the she's role. She's newer to the role mm-hmm. um, it, la- last March. So it's been, I don't know, a year and a half. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she got the position last March, and then we had terrible, devastating wildfires mm-hmm. in October. And it's had a lot of ramifications mm-hmm. for the company. Mm-hmm. So she's she's had to steer the ship in very, very rough waters, um, like ex- mm-hmm. existential. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what I mean when it's like yeah. she got more than she bargained for. Yeah. But I think that she's, I think she's handling it really well. And she's the first, she's the first female Latina. Fortune 500 Fortune CEO. 5. That's crazy. And she was one to your mentor. That's Mm-hmm. How does that like kind of feel to look up to someone like that? And she like she rose. We can right. all rise, kind of right. thing. It it certainly is really inspirational. Mm-hmm. And she gave me some really good advice, you know, to what we were talking about earlier. Because when you have to be assertive, there's yeah. also, and again, we're a California company, so we talk in a certain way. We're very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and she would caution me. She'd say, you know, you, you shouldn't be so blunt. Right. Um, And you can. Another thing that they always say is don't say the word but. Right. Mm -hmm. So if somebody says something, throws out an idea, Mm -hmm. you're supposed to say, that's interesting. And this and then present whatever instead of saying but this. Right. Yeah. And it's like such a silly to me that Mm -hmm. I would like to just be able to be very direct and and straightforward. But I work in a in a town with nuance, Mm -hmm. filled with nuance. Mm -hmm. And so. um it was good advice. Do you have you had like a lot of women kind of in this field like garner around you to be like, hey Jessica, here are some tips 
of like how we made it in this field and building up because I mean obviously something she did worked mm-hmm. for her because here she right. is you know head of this company but have you had that a lot in your life to kind of help you get to where you are now so I think that I felt as though I didn't experience a whole lot of that in the beginning of my career mm-hmm. when I came to this company I actively sought out mm. a mentor I mean by my I worked for a fundraising firm, and so mm-hmm. my boss there was amazing. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, like, candidates, mm-hmm. you know, some were better than others, I would say. Mm-hmm. And then here, it's like when I actually saw out a mentor, then mm-hmm. the doors opened, and mm-hmm. I found that they were more than willing to do that. Mm-hmm. So I had my CEO, and then um, the woman I worked for out in California, again, mm-hmm. I approached her, and I, I said, hey, she was overseeing a different line of business within the company and they mm. um, gave her this role and I said I, I came to her with the proposal to say what would you think about me doing this mm-hmm. and she said I, I love it let's do it I, I think you have to seek it out mm-hmm. right and and I also need to be better about I don't want to just provide some mentorly advice when it's not solicited <laughs> you know yeah you don't want to just like walk solicited. up to somebody in the lunchroom and be like hey right, right. but then there, there are also times where you know, you see somebody doing something mm-hmm. that is detrimental and you could be helpful, mm-hmm. right? So I would encourage women to actively seek it out and then, mm-hmm. you know, personally just have have the courage to, and confidence to say to somebody, look, mm-hmm. I I care about you and your future and I just want to tell you this. Mm-hmm. So, that, so that's something that you're actively trying to do now with other women that you see kind of coming up in this world and... and in this organization, making sure that they're kind of getting their best outlook and those little tidbits of mm-hmm. advice. Yeah, and I think a big piece of it is is um, sharing information. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing that I am trying to do is when I need something or I ask a, the team to do something, mm-hmm. always explain to them why. Mm-hmm. Why I'm asking for it. Mm-hmm. Why it's important. Because I find that it's really easy to take orders and do things without knowing the why and then mm-hmm. one you're not going to do them as well as mm-hmm. you could have if you know the reason behind it but two you may think like what am I doing right mm-hmm. like this seems and knowing why like helps keep you connected to the mission and that's a big thing for you and so because yeah. like, from what you're saying it seems like mission is so important to you and you want to make sure that others know the mission because I think it is very easy for us to kind of get lost in the drudgery of like the day in and day out of what we're doing and kind of lose focus on why we started doing something and I think you're unique in the sense of like as as a manager as a supervisor as a boss or whatever you tell people why they're doing it and having them come to you with questions and I feel like that creates for a more productive I hope so inv- you're like I hope so man because I still Sometimes gotta do I get in a rush and I may not be doing that and I'm always like stop I've said to you know people I work on I'm like stop me if I haven't explained mm-hmm. this I think that's important I think that shows leadership and understanding of others because I know I've worked places or I've been around people or been like in certain environments or teams or like People don't tell me the why. They just kind of tell me to do it. And in your mind, you're just like, but why am I doing this? This seems pointless, but it's fine. I'll just get it done. And and you're like, what is this really contributing to? Am I just kind of pushing papers? Because mm-hmm. that's, that's a feeling I get a lot 
not a lot, but like that I've had in the past when I'm assigned certain projects or tasks. Um, it's just kind of like, why am I doing this? Am I really contributing in the way that I want to? And do you even care about the skills that I have to offer? Well, and you yeah. might have a better way of doing it. Yeah. But if you don't know why, mm-hmm. you can't offer the better way. Yeah. And that's the other thing, too. It's like, I may not be giving you the best direction, mm-hmm. right? And it may be that after we have a conversation, you're like, why don't you just do this? And I'd yeah. be like, oh, yes. That could be so much easier, wouldn't that. it? Yeah, let's just do that. Right. Do you do you think that comes from a place, like, was there a time that you felt that people weren't using your skills to the best that they could and you were like, okay, when I'm managing people, I need to change? I think partly it's, um, I didn't ask it enough, mm. right? And then... Partly when I have felt that way, it's mm-hmm. a question that I ask myself. Mm-hmm. So right after college, when I worked on a presidential campaign, and literally, like, I would be stuffing envelopes. I spent a lot of time <laughs> stuffing envelopes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I have a college degree for this. But then I was like, well, you know what? You know, if I'm stuffing these envelopes because this mailing, this thousand-piece mailing may raise $10,000 for my mm-hmm. candidate, which he needs to buy ads in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. So... That it was like, and then you're like, okay, I'm good, and you I found your and mission I'm again. I'm good with these paper cuts that I keep getting, and I can I can keep going. That's that's real, because I feel like <laughs> no, because it is. It's like once you lose sight of like your mission or your focus, and you're kind of just like doing this, like okay, it's another day, it's another day. I think that's where people get agitated, and that's where you lo- lose good people with like good skills, is because they got bored with like the monotonous like you were saying you're like I need to change up every so often so I can be interested and invigorated and and keep moving forward do you want to like I know you said kind of like oh I kind of like fell into certain things but you just said you got promoted do you want to keep going higher and higher so maybe one day you can be like your mentor you know running a company pushing it forward towards a collective mission is that like a goal of yours are you kind of like I'm too much at the front if I do that. I'm good staying in the mix. I I don't think that there is a reluctance to be in the front. Mm -hmm. I think um, at this point, it's really, I could be promoted again here and stay here in Washington, or Mm -hmm. I could go to another company and have an officer level role. Mm -hmm. Um, Or I could go start, you know, work for myself Mm -hmm. or work for a firm. But I'm also at this point point now where you know my kids are two and seven mm-hmm. and I do often feel like going back to failure that it, it's hard to balance it all mm-hmm. and so sometimes I feel like I'm failing at home and I feel <laughs> you know you have those days but I would like to be able to be more present mm-hmm. um, particularly when my daughter gets to like 12 13 mm-hmm. you know it's a tough when age. things can really go off the rails <laughs> <laughs> Having been that age yeah. once, I, I feel like I'm like always because of the phones and stuff. Yeah. It's like it's nonstop, mm-hmm. and so I'm at that point where I'm just like, am I gonna, am I gonna just feel like, ugh, I gotta. Mm-hmm. But then my husband is always like, shut up, <laughs> you would be bored. <laughs> you know that's not true. If you if you could cut back, like you wouldn't do it. Because mm-hmm. you like to keep going yeah. and pushing forward. I like that too. I'm just like, if I slow down. Then I'm going to just stop right, and not get back on the horse. So that leads me to my last question um, before we take a short break. What 
or how do you define being a woman or womanhood? That's a tough question. <laughs> I mean, I, I do think, you know, there's like the stereo, the stereotypical, like women are better multitaskers. Mm-hmm. Just for me, like how I kind of view my, yeah. my, my femaleness, if you will, mm-hmm. I, I want to kind of be everything to everyone. Mm. So I want to, I feel like there's a, I need to be the, on the maternal side. Mm-hmm. And be a caretaker and, like, make, you know, I like to cook and I want to make dinner and I want to. Mm-hmm. But then, like, I don't always get a lot of satisfaction from that. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to let on. I don't want to <laughs> let that on. Um, and then there's also, you know, I, I think that women have things to bring to the table, skills. That's mm-hmm. what I, you know, think that I have, too, that are unique to women. Um, but I don't want to, I want that to be value, but I don't want to have it be a hindrance. Mm-hmm. And so there's this struggle between, you know, wanting to be treated different and wanting to be treated the same. Mm-hmm. That is just there. Mm-hmm. And it's there at work and I think it's there at home too. Mm-hmm. Because it's like I want to, I want to be treated differently. I want to be the mom stuff, but then I also like don't want to. And I mm-hmm. want to be treated just like my husband is. And mm-hmm. I want to have the expectation that, you know... Mm-hmm. I don't need to be the one doing the homemaker stuff. Mm-hmm. So, I don't. I don't know. Being what a you woman mean. is a dichotomy. It is a dichotomy. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. That's probably the easiest way to boil it down. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> you just made me sound a lot better. <laughs> no, that's a perspective. I don't. I don't think I've heard on the show so far. Being a woman is I is a dichotomy. I like it. I'm into it. All right. Um, so thank you. We are going to take a very short break and then we will be right back. All right, everybody, we are back. It's your host again, Natalia, and I'm here with Jessica. And this week we are going to do the segment Problematic Faves, which basically we talk about something that we really love, but is also very problematic because we love it. Um, <laughs> so this week, um, I think when this episode comes out in a couple of weeks, the show will probably have been out for about a month. Um, I'm going to talk about the show Insatiable. That's new on Netflix. And if you don't know about it, it's the show that, um, follows this girl, Patty, who she was over, she was an overweight teenager and then she got punched in the face and then she had her jaw had to be wired shut for a whole summer and she like lost 70 pounds and so now she's like pretty and she's doing pageants and and all that jazz um but I watched the show and I really really like the show like I (laughs) really yes it's problematic like there's definitely some things like the 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 last episode is too wild like it was too wild for my spirit but um but it was but I really like the show because it talks about like it talks a lot about fat phobia and that's like a that's like a lot of the critic it was very hard to find like a good review of I, the show I didn't find any like the last article that I sent you was the only good review I could find and I found out about that one from an article that wrote a bad review <laughs> it's like the thing is though I think people are missing a lot of the point about it cuz there is I think there's a lot of critics saying it's, like, bad, but they also have, like, a really large following of people who do like it, but they're not critics. It's just, like, people like me, like, normal humans. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like we're... I don't know. It, I think it really does talk a lot about 
just because you're skinny doesn't mean like your problems go away and that's a lot of like what she's saying and it's it's like a very over the top show but that's a lot of like what the main character is saying and going through and the pageants her doing pageants I think honestly is like really like a a B story to like the true story of her like kind of coming into her own and like all the things that she's dealing with I don't know. Did you... What from the articles? Because I don't know. You didn't watch any of the episodes. I haven't watched any of the episodes. And so I just read the articles Mm -hmm. that you sent me. And I saw the reference... Like, one of the articles referenced, like, Heather's... Yeah. And some, like, some other satire films and things that... I think they were trying to say that this is trying to be like that. Yeah. They're falling short. Yeah. But... And then just not having seen it, I, I feel as though, you know, it certainly was the intent, I believe, of the show creators mm-hmm. and even the actors based on their mm-hmm. statements to... This is satire and they're, you know, they're mm-hmm. not trying to make trivial of this. Like, mm-hmm. they're trying to expose... Bring things to light through comedy and... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think also just, like, it probably speaks to just as a culture, you know, we've become, like, very... Um, a bit like on the surface and mm-hmm. superficial, right? With like social media and mm-hmm. you know needing to have a lot of likes and posting. Yeah. You know, I have to post a picture of my <laughs> you know beautiful entree, mm-hmm. or you know, in I'm in this cool place doing this cool thing mm-hmm. where it's just kind of like, well, really, really? Can you just like be happy in the mm-hmm. moment and and mm-hmm. you know? I think like so. Patty, the main character, like. It's over the top, but in such a... To me, it's over the... It is over the top, but it's over the top in such, like, a great way where, like, I think it is satirizing, like, a lot of things that go on in our culture and still go on in our culture. And people's complaints about it is, like, there's, like, this fat phobia. She's, like, thinking, like, because she's skinny, like, everything's going to be better. She has, like, this power. But I think the show shows that, like, just because you are doesn't mean everything's great. Like, she's not all of a sudden, like, the most popular girl in school. Again, like, that's not what happens. And I think and I think they do a really good job of also, like, fleshing out the other characters that are around her. And they, they bring a lot of different things in. And the cast is, like, diverse in its makeup and who it casts and, and visually, not just, like, ethnicity-wise, but just... I don't know, like, attitude-wise or, like, looks-wise who they cast is really interesting, and it's it's done in a way that doesn't make me feel like it's a show trying to be diverse. Mm-hmm. You know? Because, like, I feel like a lot of shows now, it's, like, it's cool to be diverse, so we're gonna, like, throw in a black person or, like, throw in a lesbian, like, throw in a, you know? And, and I feel like they don't do it in that kind of way. I feel like they are speaking to a lot of things that are still happening, like, her best friend is in love with her and a closeted lesbian and like they talk they they delve into that topic and her getting her first girlfriend and and what that and it's like this like um, this like heavier set beautiful black woman and like they they touch on like so many different types of lifestyles so many like you can be very like feminine but still be like a straight man or something like just like all of these different things I think that they touch on and I think they do it pretty well there's definitely areas where they like fall short Mm -hmm. but I'm like I think people are just upset because we're that they're putting it out there and they're like this doesn't happen kind Mm -hmm. of thing Mm -hmm. and I 
I mean, what, like, what doesn't happen? Like, like, this idea that, like, skinny magic or, like, becoming, once you become skinny, all of a sudden, like, great things will happen or bad Mm. things will happen or things will stay the same or, like, having all of these feelings, these challenges about liking a guy. Because, I mean, one of the guys that she likes in the show doesn't really pay attention to her till she's skinny and she brings that up and I think it's the idea is that like he was like I didn't and he admits to that he's like I didn't he's like but also I've gotten to know you and I think you're really cool and it's like this idea of that no one's going to pay attention to you until you're skinny it's like but you could have gotten to know me before and so it's like that happens all the time or like they talk about I know one article I don't know if it's an article I sent you um but it talks about like the sexualization of teenagers Mm -hmm. and it's like but teenagers really are doing these things. Like, it's right. not, you know what I mean? This, I think, I guess, like, certain things are, like, the idea that someone could still be closeted in in 2018. But it's, like, people still are, and people aren't, you know what I mean? Like, it's, right. it, like, this idea that, like, oh, those things don't happen. They're, like, making it more dramatic. They're building it up, or, like, they're doing X, Y, and Z. And it's, like, no, these things still happen, and I think... That's why there are people that are like, no, the show is really, really good. Mm. Because they're like, no, these things happen because, like, I lived through it. And I think if you didn't grow up heavy set, you don't know this type of, like, power that you all of a sudden feel. But also this, like, worry and, like, self-body image issues. And um, I know one article talked about, like, a lot of Patty's growing has to deal around with, like, her body. But that's a huge thing. I think if you lose a bunch of weight or if you, like... Or if you're, like, in a new body, it's a lot about, like, accepting your body. And that is a lot of growth. Mm-hmm. And I feel like to dismiss that is doing the complete opposite of what the show wants to do or intends to do. And I feel like that's what a lot of critics are doing. They're dismissing the fact of, like, her kind of growing as a person because she's growing when she's learning things about her body. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, but isn't growing to love your body as it is, like, what we all have to do? Right anyway i kind of question like what is the the point of a critic sometimes because yeah art is art Mm -hmm. and is in the eye of the beholder Mm -hmm. and if you read a bad review it might alter it's going to put a lens on Mm -hmm. how you view something versus just like coming across it Mm -hmm. and letting it just allowing the experience to happen Mm -hmm. and then making the decision on your own like i like it or i don't Mm -hmm. like it i agree because I didn't read any reviews. All I read reviews before the show came out for the trailer because I saw the trailer and I was not hype about the trailer looked messed up. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, no. And so I had read reviews on the trailer and I agreed with what the reviews said because the way they presented in the trailer was like it was going to focus. They're like, no, she can be a beauty queen, da, 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 which is part of the show. But I really don't think it's like a central tenet of the show. Um. And so after, so I didn't read any reviews until after mm. I watched the show. And I'm not going to say the show is perfect because it's not. There's a lot of wild <laughs> wildness in that show. Once again, especially the last episode is too wild for me. Um, but I think people dismiss so much of it because it's like it's fat phobia because like she's she was wearing a fat suit and now she's like skinny. And I'm like, yes. But that's not the point kind of thing. And I, I agree because it's like 
there's probably a whole group of people that could have watched the show and like connected with it if you hadn't written this mm-hmm. review and like it's problematic but I don't think th- I think the things that critics are saying like it teaches girls I don't think that's necessarily mm-hmm. true I think we're playing on the old adage of like how we present fat people in shows and being like if we present them anyway we're not doing it correctly and so you're giving a bad self-image but I don't think that's necessarily true with this show right if yeah I think I think we're still playing on those old edges and then a lot of one of the shows that they reference in the article like Heather's some of those like weren't like they're cult classics right those weren't super well liked when they first came out but now they're loved right and I feel like Insatiable may be one of those shows or the idea of like even something more tamer like Gilmore Girls Gilmore Girls was not as popular when it first came out it was like doing steady like it had a steady amount of like viewership but it wasn't like you know a Shonda Rhimes show that like everybody's glued to their TV every night and so but now like we're seeing like a resurgence of its popularity I've always been a Gilmore Girls fan I had the box set (laughs) way before it came on Netflix like that listen I've always been a Gilly but I think it's that type of idea that like when it first comes out you may not like it or it may not be as well known just like a Heathers or something along those lines but I think later down the road it's actually it may become like a cult yeah well, and it's it might like be representative of that point in time, right? Yeah. So, like the Heather's certainly was representative of that point in time. Mm-hmm. And when I was younger watching it, I it was like you know everybody was all about Christian Slater. So mm-hmm. it was like I'm gonna mm-hmm. go watch this Christian Slater movie because <laughs> Christian Slater is in it and Christian Slater. Um, <laughs> and then later, like another one for me is Clueless. Mm-hmm. Right. So Clueless was not. Like, yes. nobody cared about Clueless when it no. first came out, but I Love watched that movie, this. like, oh my god, I wanted to look like them, I wanted to dress like them, I, like, memorized speeches, <laughs> I memorized all of her um, speeches in her um, current events class. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's like people, the critics look back on it, and they're like, oh, it was so important for whatever. And People love Clueless now. Yeah. Love Clueless. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that, I really do think that's what Insatiable is going to be, because, like, I'm seeing it, and I'm like, no, like, they're saying a lot of real things that happen. I think it also comes to a place where we kind of don't want to admit that certain things are still happening. Mm -hmm. And when it's presented to us, like, in media, we're just like, no, that's, like, not a thing. And I was like, no, but this still happens just because, like, you don't see it, or if it's not, like, on the big screen of, like, television or, like, news or whatever doesn't mean it's not happening. And I think Insatiable plays on that Mm -hmm. a lot because, like, Things that are happening happen in that show, like happened when I was in high school, happened yeah. now when my sister's in high school, like, and we just we think we've moved past that, but like we we really haven't because it takes a lot longer to right. move past certain things, like things like that. So like it's problematic in in the sense that like there are definitely things about it that need to change, and like they should flesh out certain aspects of it a bit more. And I'm like wondering how. If, if they get a second season, which I hope they do, I'm like, how are you going to rectify that last step? Because I know I keep talking about the last episode, but it was just so wild. And I'm just like, how are you going to create a second season from that episode? Because just like everything was everywhere. Um, so I'm really interested to see that mm-hmm. aspect of it. But I think it definitely deserves like 
another season yeah and and fleshing out because they had some really really strong actors and characters um in in the show and it was so good i just i want people to give it a second chance i'll have to go check it out then (laughs) you you may hate it (laughs) you may hate me maybe like natalia what nonsense did you make me watch um but i yes i it's definitely problematic in certain areas but i still think it's really really good Mm-hmm. So your problematic fave this week. You want to tell me about it. So my problematic favorite, and it's just plain problematic, right? <laughs> it's there, there's no redeeming yep. anything, but it's the Real Housewives franchise mm. series. I watch almost all of them. I think that they're so entertaining. It is, without a doubt, problematic because it does not... I mean, they're trying to portray women as like, Overly dramatic, backstabbing, snipe, you know, fighting mm-hmm. over stupid things with each other, you know, superficial, all this stuff. And I just don't care. I, <laughs> I like to, you know, when my husband's out of town because he can't handle it and <laughs> my kids are asleep and I just like to, after a long day, just sit there and watch it and like let my brain just turn off. And enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And I even, I'll, I'll be watching it and I'll be like, I'll be like, you know, I really like this. I, li- I really like her. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, why am I spending my time thinking about this? This is so stupid. But it's, I don't know, it's just like pure entertainment and I take it for what it is and that's it. I always find the title really funny. Because, Real Housewives? Yeah, because they're not the average in America. No. <laughs> they're like these and rich women. wives. Yes, <laughs> isn't that a thing? Like it's like some of them are like girlfriends, right? Some of them are just women, right? That happen to be wealthy for some reason, or like are in that. They're famous for being famous. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I'm just like, but why are you on this show? And it seems to be way more dramatic than it needs to be. Yes, you're like and, yes, and they edit it that way. Yes, right. Yes, and I'm like, why would you want to be portrayed as? this dramatic in life it's too dramatic Uh, they sign up for it though but it's like you know they try to do one in dc and it's like you know nobody in my line of work is going to be on that show you just can't right you can't because then you can't go to work on monday no because even if you're trying to be normal they're going to edit you to look ridiculous because i'm trying to think about it would have it would have to be women who don't i don't know if a lot of women on that because i'm not i have never watched like a whole season I've, like, seen show like, because, yeah. like, I have friends who like it. Um, but I'm wondering, like, who they would get to be on it, because it couldn't... No. It, has, it has to be women who don't really work in the traditional sense. Like, or maybe it, they do, like... I mean, they did it one season in D.C. They have one in Potomac, and then they did yeah. one season in D.C., and I don't remember what the women did. I think maybe one was, like, a party planner or something, mm-hmm. which, like... That's fine. Yeah, that's a job. You know? I just don't think... I think the women in, of D.C., you can't be on that show. No. Because so many people here are, like, lawyers. They work in government. We work for nonprofits. We're, like, right. in lobbying for... Like, jobs that you image really matters. Right. And if anything was to happen in, in a way that could not have a good light on you, like, it wouldn't be a good look. Yeah, it could be a career ender. But the Potomac Yard one, that one's out of Maryland, right? Yeah. Maybe because they're a little bit farther removed. They're a little farther out. And I don't I don't think, I, I don't know, I don't watch that one, so I don't know what they do mm-hmm. for a living. Do the um, other women on the other 
series work? Or a lot of Some them? of them do. What industries and are they in? And some of them don't. So, like, in New York, one's a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Bethany Frankel that has all of her stuff. The skinny girl empire. Oh. Like jeans, drinks. Oh, like, yes. Yes. She sold it to Bacardi or something for, like, mm. insane amount of money. And then I think some of them are just, like, they married well and got a divorce. Yeah. So they get alimony or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did They did one that was, like, real housewives of, maybe it was Melbourne or something. Melbourne. <laughs> and um, they did have somebody on there that was, like, a highfalutin lawyer. That's the thing, because that's the thing. Like, I'm like, I don't think. But I can't remember what kind of law she practiced. Those women wore so much makeup. So much. I was like, <laughs> like, they almost didn't, they looked like men, like drag queens. They had so much makeup on. Oh, no. It was I, not good. I can't, no. I don't. Yeah. It's too humid in D.C. to wear makeup right. for men. Like maybe, maybe in Australia it's, like, dry, and so they can get away with that. Oh, no. Then there was another, there was Ladies of London, and that was a mm-hmm. really good one. And <laughs> and they only did that for two seasons, which is so disappointing, and I followed them all on Instagram. And um, it it was, like, a couple of British girls mm-hmm. and then some American expats that were living over there. See, I'm just like, you can't, not that you can't have a real job, but it's just, like, right. the way that they're going to portray you is, like, you can't do anything after this. And it's like, I need to be able to, like, go down the street after this yeah. airs. And I don't, I think that's probably why I didn't fly in D.C. Because so right. many people have, I guess, like, the women they'd want, they have to have some money. So you have to be married to somebody with money if they're not making money themselves. And whoever those men or women are or whatever, like, they pro- in this city, they probably have some type of, like, government or, like, lobbying or nonprofit or organization. Like, right. something that, like, you can't be seen acting crazy. Right, no. And being involved in stuff. That's so... Which is why you would want to have it, the show in D.C. Yeah. Because you'd want to have a peek into that stuff. Yeah. But... No. Not all of us are that stupid to let them <laughs> right, yeah. let them into that. So it's problematic, I think, in just like the way it portrays women. But it's very entertaining. Whenever so I watch it, it's very interesting. I was like, this feels so dramatic and so over the top. Right, right. But it's like real TV. Right, but it's inter- I, again, it makes me laugh, and it lets me turn my brain off. That's a good way to put it. It's your it's your self care. It's your self-care. <laughs> it's just your it's just your self-care. Yeah, so I guess it's like traumatic that way, but it's still self-care, which is important for you. Yes. So we have come to the end of our time. Is there anything you want to promote? Anything that you want to give a shout-out to? I just want to give a shout-out to you. This Aww. is a lot of fun. <laughs> My first podcast I was a podcast version until now. Well, I'm and, glad uh, to... Um, I'm, I have to work in this city. <laughs> I'm glad to help you out in that yeah. special way. <laughs> you know, it was it was a lot of fun, and Yay. you know, respect to you for what you're doing and and the hustle and everything else. Always gotta have multiple hustles. Trust that's, me, that's what we do, right? Yes, we multitask. So, multitask. Multi. I'm Mul- a multitasker. Yeah, multi hustle. <laughs> multi hustle. Yes, I think you just named the episode. <laughs> multi hustle. Um, Yes, thank you so much, Jessica, for coming on. It's been a blast. This was really fun. I love your office also. It's very light. 
maybe because of the windows. But thank you so much for having me, letting me talk to you, peck your brain for an hour and change. Um, And everybody, please, please, please uh, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Please follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at PrettyFaceLady3. And like us on Facebook at More Than a Pretty Face. And feel free to email us at prettyfacewomen at mtapfpodcast.com. All right, talk to you soon.